Hello and welcome to Speaking Spirit, where we talk about all things spiritual. Your host, John Moore, is a shamanic practitioner and spiritual teacher. And now, here's John. Hello everybody. My love to you, as I am speaking to you, it is morning. It is, we're in my, um, where I am, it's uh, very foggy this morning. And I happen to be a person who loves fog, particularly if I don't have to drive in it. But, um, you know, as a shamanic practitioner, we have a love for weather. We work with nature spirits a lot and um, work with weather helping spirits and uh, do all kinds of work. Fog is, to me, it's beautiful and it reminds me a lot of the mysterious nature of reality that we are, what we see, what we experience, what we hear is only a tiny, tiny, tiny sliver of what's actually there, right? There's so much that's hidden to us. And fog is an interesting reminder of that, right? We can look out into the fog. We can see the fog. We can see shapes as they approach, as they get closer to us. Um, but we don't get to see everything. And it's a reminder because we would normally get to see those things, we would usually get to see those things, but we don't necessarily. So fog is, um, you know, I love the atmosphere it creates in the fact that I get to see the atmosphere, right? If you think about it, we move through the Earth's atmosphere all day, every day, and we're not always conscious of it unless it's foggy or raining or the wind is blowing or something, right? We don't think about the atmosphere, but we move through it. And spirit is the same way. You know, we um, reminded of the old police song, we are spirits living in the material world, right? Um, but we're also living in a very spiritual world. Um, there are far, far more layers of spirit than there are layers of physical reality. Physical reality seems like, because it comes, we experience it through our senses and through our 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 egoic mind, it can very easily seem like all there is because we don't always, unless you're extremely clairvoyant or you train as a, um, you know, some sort of shamanic practitioner or um, clairvoyant or something, we don't often see and experience the, uh, you know, the spiritual world in a way that is comparable with our physical senses, that is as present as our physical senses. Um, I can tell you that after, I don't know, years and years and years of training and practice and um, daily spiritual work, um, you know, I do notice myself more aware of the spiritual component of the reality I live in on a daily basis. It's become... You know, when I compare my my previous experience to my present experience, it's like night and day. So it, it's a capacity that can be developed. Um, today, this episode, 
The topic is You Are a God, and I am going to talk about divinity and the divinity that is the core of who you are. And it doesn't matter, it doesn't matter who you are. And I and I recognize that in some spiritual systems I might be speaking blasphemously by saying you are a god. Um I'm not necessarily saying you are the god, although I'll get to that. But you are a god, and I will talk about how that is not just me puffing you up or speaking in really abstract terms, although it can be really challenging to talk about divinity, right? We sometimes talk about God or divinity or the universe as the ineffable, right? The unnameable, um, and I like to joke, and this makes, I don't know if this makes sense if English is not your native language, but, um, you know, I like to F the ineffable, right? So F, you know, um, at least in at least in U.S. English, when you say I like to f something, it's it's short for an expletive, right? I'm going to f the ineffable. So there's a little bit of a double meaning there, um, which I find humorous, and humor is great. And I think you can approach spirituality with reverence and humor, right? I think you can. Um, gosh, if we are um, created, you know, if we are created, however you think we are created by spirit with the capacity for laughter, why should we not use that? And it's the same for anything. I think if we're created for, with the capacity for laughter and, um, grief and, uh, pleasure and pain and all of those things, we're probably meant to experience all of those things. And I think laughter is um, a very high, can be um, very close, help us get very close to divinity. We'll put it that way because laughter is a giant release. It's, you know, we're letting go of all of this tension we have built up and it allows us to sort of um, relax into ourselves, into our beingness. So I'm going to talk about divinity a little bit in general, and I'm going to talk about um, our divine nature a little bit in general, and I'm going to give you some of my spiritual framework, right? And I call it my spiritual framework only because, um, you know, there's a few sort of propositions that I have are that I have articulated. Um, in a way that may not have been articulated before specifically, but, you know, every, every spiritual system at its core kind of has these ideas, right? So it's, um, I'm not taking credit for the ideas. I'm taking credit. If I, you know, if credit is due, the only thing I'll take credit for is, um, the specific words I've chosen to put around these ideas. I don't want to give you I'm not starting a religion, I promise. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not into that. Um, uh, it's just to communicate, uh, it's just to communicate some ideas. And again, I love, you know, if you've listened to this podcast before, I will frequently define my terms, right? If I'm talking about love, if I'm talking about spirit, if I'm talking about the soul, and today we're going to talk about divinity and I'm going to define that because, um, 
you know, particularly in English, language is really imprecise, and different people have different cultural ideas or different ideas from experiences or readings they've done or that sort of thing. And it's not to say that my definitions are the only ones or anything like that. That would be very egoic of me, wouldn't it? It's just that when I give you my definition, it's so that you can hopefully have a better understanding of what I mean when I use these words. So when I talk about divinity, um, on on a broader sense, this is something that almost every spiritual system has a name for, right? And and again, every culture, every language puts different words on it, okay? So in Sanskrit, we have the Atman, right? Which is the soul, the indwelling permanent soul. So permanent, that's a word we'll, that's a word we'll tack on to divinity, right? And what do I mean by permanent, um, by permanent, I mean undying, unborn, outside of time, actually, um, outside of space. I'll talk a little bit about how that can be, about how something can exist outside of time and space. But, um, you know, this part of ourselves, so, um, you know, you might think of it as your Buddha nature or your Christ consciousness or um, any number of things, this oversoul, this piece of you that is undying, right? And I, in um, my tradition of shamanism, we just call this your spirit, right? Your spirit is this undying, perfect piece of yourself. So I called it permanent, and I also called it perfect. What do I mean by perfect? By perfect, I'm, I, you know, perfect is a term that's a little hard to define, but what I mean is that this is a part of you that cannot be killed because it has ne- it's never been born and it will never die. It cannot be wounded. It is unaffected by the life you live on this planet, unlike other parts of yourselves, um, right? So we, um, when we experience trauma, for example, we carry that in our we carry that in our soul body. We carry that in our astral body. We carry it in our physical body. We carry it in our mental body. But the indwelling divine spirit does not carry that, is not affected by that. Okay? So we have two sort of characteristics of this divine, this divinity, this divine part of ourselves. This is that it's permanent. It is outside of time, and so it is unborn and undying. And it is perfect in that it cannot, it cannot change. It's it's cannot um, be wounded, affected. Um, you know, there's there's no place for it to go. It's perfected. It's this perfected part of us. Okay, and I and I've talked about how this exists in. There are a lot of different ideas about this, and different words and different metaphors that are put on it, and different descriptions from Atman to, you know, Buddha nature to Christ consciousness. And I can't think of all the other terms, but there are um, so, so many of them, right? Um, I'm I'm not an expert in Thalima, the spiritual system of Thalima, but uh, I've, been, I've been watching um, 
I've been watching the show Strange Angel, which is about uh, Jack Parsons, the founder of Jet Propulsion Laboratory, who was also, um, you know, into ritual magic and Thelema. But in the Book of the Law, which is sort of, you know, I guess the main book of Thelema. You know, I don't, I don't want to misspeak. If you're, <clears throat> if you're a Thelemaite, um, I don't want to misspeak. So feel free to correct me. But um, the, so the main book of Thelema, there's a passage that says every man and every woman is a star, and that's a really important point. And what does that mean, right? What does that mean? Um, so I will talk about that. And uh, I always like to give something, if I can, a little practical at some point in every episode of the podcast. And so I want to um, give you a practical exercise which will not necessarily turn you into an enlightened being that has fully embodied their divinity, um, but will give you a brief experience, I hope, that will bring you closer um, to this to a state in which you can realize your divinity. Okay, so I'll give you a little um, brief meditative exercise towards the end, which will hopefully be, you know, a somewhat lovely experience. I'll say this in advance. If you are listening to this um, podcast in a place where you need to pay attention, so let's say you're driving or you're, um, I don't know, stepping onto an, escalator or operating heavy machinery or cooking or something along those lines where you need to pay attention, obviously you don't want to do a closed eye meditative exercise. Um, So please be safe in the physical (laughs) and physical reality because while your divine nature cannot be harmed, your physical body sure can. And you have that for a reason. Um, So let's take good care of it. Let's take good care of your physical body. It's quite a blessing to be incarnated into a physical body. I know some systems are like, gosh, this is terrible. You know, you have to escape being incarnated physically. Um, It's quite a blessing because not every being gets to experience um, physical birth. And yes, there is suffering associated with having a physical body. As I'm getting older, I recognize that um, aches and pains and, um, you know, heartache from loved ones dying and all of those things. But there's a richness of experience there as well. And we're kind of, you know, we, we, there is a purpose to it. I don't know specifically what your purpose is um, other than it is to find your purpose and live it. Okay. And, um, I'm going to have a my next episode, my next podcast episode, I have scheduled a wonderful guest um, who is going to talk about exactly that, finding your purpose, why that's important, how to how to find it, how to crystallize that and how to live from your purpose. Okay, so here are here are uh, I'm going to sort of describe um, my I'm going to talk about my ideas, the way that I have verbalized um, what I have experienced around this divinity and um, 
give you sort of a few a few principles that I teach and um, that I you know do my best to live by, and um, you know take them for what they're worth. And compare them to your own belief system. Um, throw them out completely if they don't work for you. Um, but at least you know if you hear them, you'll understand where I'm coming from. So the first um, the first sort of principle is that um, if you go deep enough into anything, the deeper you go into anything, the more spiritual it becomes. So everything is a spirit, right? Um, I come from an animistic tradition, so everything is a spirit. And the deeper you go into it, you peel back the layers of physical reality, whatever, um, the more spiritual it becomes. The more, you know, and by spiritual, I mean the more formless, the less physical it becomes. Um, I'm going to have a brief sip of coffee while you ponder that. Coffee is divine. So I'll give you some examples of that, right? Excuse me. Somebody who is an amazing artist, for example, who, you know, loses themselves in the work that they're doing, loses their, loses their egoic mind while they're painting. You don't have to be, you don't have to be, you know, Van Gogh or the, you know, the world's best painter, but just the art of going deep, deep, deep into this activity, this expressive activity where you start to lose your egoic self, the more spiritual that activity becomes. And that can be anything. And I noticed that early on in my life when I was training in martial arts. I had um, kind of a brilliant but crazy teacher who would make us do the same movement over and over and over and over again. And at first, you know, and, and I'm talking for hours hours and hours and hours, we would do exactly the same movement. And at first, I'm like, oh, this is painful, this is boring, I hate this. And then the mind would quiet down, and then I would start to get insights, and then I would lose my sense of self. And it was almost like the movement was happening, and I was just along for the ride. What was left what was still functioning of my egoic mind in those moments was more an observer. So the movement was happening through me. The expression was happening through me. Um, you know, if you watch somebody who's an amazing athlete, you know, they're quote unquote in the zone in flow. That's, you know, where this principle comes in. They go very, very deep into this state where the ego drop, Ego kind of drops away and allows their spiritual self to come through. So that's sort of the core um, idea is that the deeper you go into anything, the more spiritual it becomes. The more spiritual truth is revealed. And by spiritual truth, I don't necessarily mean words that you could write down or speak or hear. I'm talking about experiential truth, right? And so if there's if there's a practical piece of advice here, that would be find what that is for you. Find what activity or thing that you can do that you can do in a way. And I'm not talking about 
necessarily mindless activity like playing a video game or you know stuff that just occupies occupies brain space it has to be something that resonates for you that you love deeply because love is a big part of this as well and i'm not talking about the chemical love that we experience when we're with you know a human being that we're very attracted to and they give us attention and you know that sort of love i'm talking about this soul love and i will talk more about that in my next um podcast episode as well love is well we could do a whole series of podcasts about love and what divine love means and that sort of thing so that's sort of the first principle so the second principle is there is no more spiritual activity than going in deeply into yourself, right? So yes, you can have a spiritual experience from cooking or painting or um, reading prayer or um, anything, right? As long as you have, understand that first principle that the deeper you go, the more spiritual it becomes, there is no more spiritual experience than going deep, deep, deep into yourself because there, there is nothing closer, right? You can't, you know, to do these outside activities, there has to be some sort of recognition, has to be some sort of ego recognition that, you know, an ego is all about separation. These things exist separately from me. There are sets of practices where you recognize everything as an emanation of yourself. And um, I think that is a way of going deeply into yourself too. There are lots of lots and lots and lots and lots of practices for doing this. I'm going to give you one today, but um, oh my gosh, there are so many different practices. So again, if there's a bit of practical advice here, it's um, find a spiritual practice that works for you. And meditation is the classic and there are, I don't know, millions of forms of meditation Meditation is, in, you know, one way it's been described to me is it's like you're peering into a pond and the wind is blowing and there are all these ripples on the pond and you can't see into it. Um, and, it, you know, the, the silt is stirred up from the wind and the waves and meditation calms the wind and the pond becomes still and the silt settles and you are able to look clearly through the pond at what's down there. Well, the pond, you know, obviously that's a metaphor. That's you. You're the pond. You're peering deeply into yourself. And meditation helps calm the monkey mind and the chatter that's going on. Meditation is a beautiful practice. There are many, many forms of meditation, um, you know, and meditation on a physical level is fantastic for you. It's really good for you. It's good for lowering stress and helping with blood pressure and all kinds of wonderful things, sleep and anxiety. So meditate. That's, that's the practical advice there. Okay. So we have the first principle. The more, you, the more deeply you go into anything, the more spiritual it becomes. The second principle is there is nothing more spiritual than going deeply into oneself. And that is where the gold lies, in my opinion. And the third principle is the more deeply you go into yourself, 
the more in flow life will become. The more flow you will experience, you will be in harm in much more in harmony with the universe. And this is about um, living purpose as an expression of your divinity, your divine self. This is about living out your true will, your purpose, the thing you the, the way you are meant to do. When you are living outside of that, when you are not in touch with your beingness, that is beingness is another expression for the, the divinity that is within you. And, um, you know, when you, when you, when you step outside of your being, this life becomes harder and I'm talking about at all levels. So physical life becomes harder, um, because spirit is trying to make you have an easier life. And I don't mean, you know, necessarily that I'm going to meditate and tomorrow I will win the lottery and all of my financial troubles will go away. What I mean is that when I when I identify as beingness, when I f- more fully identify as my beingness, as my divine self, um, yes, physical life, you know, you this is where manifestation happens. So you are, you know, you, you start to, you may develop the ability to manifest things at will. Maybe you'll win the lottery, I don't know. But whether it will start to matter less, whether or not you do. And, you know, the the external physical circumstances of your life, uh, you know, they'll, they will line up, but also at the same time, um, you just won't care as much when they don't. You will live from a place of equanimity because, um, yeah, I can get sick. I can, my body can get hurt. I can, um, you know, lose a job or have a relationship breakup or all of those things. None of that affects my beingness. So let me talk a moment about the word beingness as an expression of divinity. This is another um, synonym, if you would, beingness. So how would I describe beingness? Okay. And this is... This is where the timeless, you know, when I described it as permanent and perfect, nature comes comes in. So spirit, ultimately, beingness, is formless. It does not have a size or shape. It has no mass. And if you know anything about physics, time and space are intimately linked to mass. Right, So something that has no mass lives outside of time and lives outside of space. So your beingness, again, your divine nature is formless, has no mass, and it is therefore timeless. It is outside of time, it is unborn and undying. And this is the perfect part of you because also having no form, it can't be injured or wounded or any of those things. Um, I think of it, and there are all kinds of different expressions, and again, I'm trying to F the ineffable, 
I'm trying to describe something that is indescribable. So I can only sort of describe it in very loose terms. And again, here's this, um, you know, if I were going to visualize it, I would visualize it as a point or a star of just infinite, blinding, bright light. Um, But in that, there is complete stillness, complete and utter stillness and peace, right? And I've done spiritual exercises where you sort of, you get in touch with the beingness and then you um, introspect it. You ask questions um, and allow the answers to arise. Some of these questions are, does beingness experience fear? Well, there's a resounding no there because what does beingness have to fear? Again, it can't be wounded. It's undying. It's unborn. Unchanged. Unchangeable. Therefore, there is no fear there. Does beingness experience lack? A sense of lack? Again, no. For the same reason. So it can introspect. You know, when you get in touch with beingness, your divine nature, you can you can introspect it a little bit, and yes, you know, your answers are sort of bubbling up into your consciousness, and we don't know exactly where they're coming from, and that's fine. That's totally fine. I, I'm allowing my egoic mind to have some, you know, get some information, to get some alignment, right? One way, another way, I'll give you lots of different ways to think about it, one way to think about this spirit, this you know, divine spark at the at the center of us, and this is the way I think of it, is that there is divinity with a capital D. You might say God or Brahman or the Oversoul or the Universe, or you might have whatever word for the the spirit of everything there is, okay? And so my personal divinity is like a spark on that flame or a drop in that ocean or a beam of light from that star, one of those things. It is inseparable. It is connected. It is completely connected, but it is somewhat individuated so that... um. You know, in some belief systems, it's so that I can, you know, if I, you know, if I identify as divinity, I can, the only way to reflect upon myself, the only way to observe myself, the only way for, you know, divinity to observe itself is to have a part that is somewhat individuated, right? Um, And that's like saying, um, you know, I can I can see with my eyes. My eyes are still a part of my body. And I can sense them as um, individual parts, right? But I can also sense them as still a part of me. Um, hopefully, my eyes are inseparable. I don't, you know, yes, I can lose an eye. And this is where this metaphor breaks down a little bit because you at your core are inseparable from the divine nature of all there is. We are interconnected, interdependent, interconnected beings. 
Um, so there's a beautiful exercise that is taught by shamanic teacher Sandra Ingerman called um, Transfiguration. She has a number of programs. I think she has a book called Healing with Spiritual Light, and she definitely has a you know online program where you can learn this transfiguration exercise. Um, it is an absolutely beautiful, fantastic exercise that I highly recommend everybody practice. I don't care. It's none. The, the thing about this, um, even though Sandra Ingerman is a shamanic teacher and a teacher of teachers, um, this particular exercise is not, not shamanic in that you don't have to know how to journey to do it. Anybody can, anybody can do it without any sort of previous training or knowledge. And it's really beautiful. And to me, it is settling in to that divine spark and experiencing that. And they've done some really cool experiments with transfiguration where they've taken um, polluted water and, you know, brought it into a space where people were doing transfiguration and then sent it off to the lab and the water gets clean all of a sudden. So um, it's very interesting. It does have an effect on physical reality. So, you know, to use another, yet another metaphor for this divine spark is that, you know, we have all of these selves, right? I have a physical self and a mental self and an emotional self. And I have an etheric aura, an etheric double and an astral body and all of these things. Um, So I like to think sometimes of the divine self, the divine spark, as sort of like this light in the center of a bunch, shining through a bunch of filters. So this divine light is, you know, at my core, and then every layer of filter, that it go, every filter, every body, every part of myself that it goes through, filters that a little bit. Like if you had a bunch of colored lenses and you were looking at the sun through them, um, you know, you would get sort of this interesting, distorted, um, color-changed picture of the sun, um, which is very different than looking at the sun itself. And so these, you know, transfiguration, some of these meditative exercises allows you to temporarily take away some of these filters and have a more direct experience of this divine inner nature. And, um, you know, that experience does filter up into your egoic mind because you can remember it. Um, But, you know, again, then you can start to identify with meaning, I don't think of myself as just a body anymore. I think of myself as having this um, divine light shining through me. And yes, I still have have a body, but I am not a body. Okay. And there's a whole... There's a whole exercise around disidentification as well, right? I have a body, I am not a body. I have thoughts, I am not my thoughts. I have feelings, I am not my feelings. What am I? What am I, right? And that is, um, you know, the um, the Indian saint um, Ramana Maharshi, you know, that was the core of his exercise. What am I? 
Ask that over and over again. Your ego starts to break down a little bit. Anything you can, you know, anything you can think of starts to starts to peel away until you get to beingness. So we know. So what do we know about beingness so far? Right. We know that it's um, permanent. It's outside of time. It's perfect. It cannot be wounded or damaged. It has no mass. It has no form. It can be visualized as light. But again, that's putting, you know, that's putting a metaphor on it. It shines through. It shines through all that we are, all of our bodies, like a filter. At its core, when you experience it, when you do an exercise and you're really experiencing um, beingness, um, the only way I can describe it again, it, it defies description a little bit, is an ultimate sense of peace, stillness, love, divine not love, not romantic love, although romantic love is beautiful, um, divine love, which is complete, utter surrender, acceptance, right? So complete um, so from the Sedona method, courageousness, acceptance, and peace. Courageousness meaning um, complete lack of fear because you can't, that part can't die or be harmed. There's nothing nothing to fear. Acceptance because you're a part of all there is. There's nothing, nothing to push away, nothing to cling to. And peace. Complete stillness, complete surrender. You just rest in that moment. Um, so, spiritual practices or exercises that give you some sense of this, you know, I would refer to this work, maybe others would not, but I would refer to this as theosis or God work right? This is where you are, you know, getting in touch with that inner part of yourself that is no different than God, for lack of a lack of another term. And I realize the term God is very loaded. We all have different concepts of what that word means. You know, whether you come from a Judeo-Christian background or um, Islam or whether you practice Hinduism or Buddhism or Zoroastrianism or you're Gnostic or you're an atheist. So that can be a very loaded word. So, we'll, you know, I'll try to, I'll do my best to stick with the word divinity. Divine light. Can you be an atheist and believe in your divinity, um, I don't know, probably. Probably you could be atheistic, meaning you don't believe in, um, you don't believe in a, in a God, a creator God or what have you, and still understand that there are layers of yourself that may be non-physical. I think that could be. I don't know. Maybe I'll, maybe I'll bring on some, some people who are atheists at some point and have a conversation with them. That would be interesting. 
I think, um, you know, I know people who are sort of materialist atheists and, you know, from that perspective, the material world is all there is. There is nothing else. Um, that's challenging because I have, uh, lots of, you know, on the daily I experience non-physical reality. Um, and even if, you know, they're, their explanation would be it's all in my head and it's just the, um, you know, all of my experiences are just subjective and they're the result of electrochemical interactions going on in my physical brain. Um, that, I, you know, again, it's not my job to proselytize or change what anybody believes, but, um, uh, my experience is otherwise, and you know, there. I believe that consciousness is non-local, um, and being non-local, it is not. Um, you know, it's not structured in that way. Consciousness doesn't reside in the brain. The brain is a receiver of consciousness, and it can tune itself to sort of different wavelengths of consciousness. It's what we do when we practice shamanism. We tune our brains to be able to do shamanic journeys. But the material, the information we bring back sometimes is non-local, meaning we're not experiencing it from physical senses. And so there's a component of that. And hey, maybe someday, maybe someday quantum science will explain that. Um, but I honestly think that a lot, you know, when you read a lot about quantum science, um, and I'm no expert, but it seems, you know, very, it seems like science is describing spiritual concepts, right? And they're using, they're using scientific terms to do that. I think they're talking a lot, a lot about, you know, um, they're talking a lot about the same things that spiritual people are talking about using using vastly different vocabulary. Um, you think about quantum entanglement, how two particles, you know, that are not in contact with each other sent quote unquote communicate, right? They seem to have awareness, not, you know, I don't know if awareness is even the right word, but if you change one, you change the other one or simply observing one changes the other one. Um, how does that work at a fundamental level? How does that work from a physical, material reality? Um, I don't know. I mean, I can't explain it from a quantum science perspective. But from a spiritual perspective, we say that everything is connected to everything at a spiritual level, at a level that you know we cannot necessarily measure with scientific instruments right now. So, so yeah, I think there, I think there's room for overlap there. I think the subjective experience of consciousness is extremely difficult to describe as a, as simply a bunch of chemical interactions going on in a brain, right? The experience of the world you're having right now listening to this podcast, that will be quite challenging to explain as neurochemical signals passing between cells. Um, 
you know, we can see areas of the brain light up, but how does that give us the experience we're having? And, you know, it's possible that that can never be explained um, on a physical level. I don't know. I mean, who knows what we'll learn? Who knows what we'll learn? But, uh, you know, I open the door to that. I open the door to, I'm open to the idea that um, the more we learn about the nature of reality, the more we learn about the nature of reality and the tools that we use to plumb the nature of reality are the tools that we use. If your tools are science, that's great. If your tools are spirit, that's great. Okay, and at some point, maybe our vocabularies will overlap. Who knows? Who knows? That would be a great thing. Um, so, yeah. So, <laughs> I'm, I'm digressing. I like tangents a whole lot. I like to have things go off the rails a little bit. So, um, so I have described divinity, and I have described how at your core, you are this divine spark and, or a beam of light from, you know, from the star that is divinity, or you are a star and a system of stars, or, you know, what have you. These are all metaphors because, again, it's formless. You can visualize your divinity. And I've given you some ideas hopefully about some places to look for practices, meditative practices, transfiguration, that sort of thing. And I'll leave you with um, I'll leave you with a really short, brief, but I think beautiful exercise that you can practice almost any time you want because it requires nothing. Um, it requires nothing but yourself. And again, going into yourself, that is the deepest form of practice I can think of. So this exercise is very simple to describe, but can get deeper and deeper the more you practice it. So the practice is this, um, and it is easier. It is easier frequently with closed eyes, although you can try it with open eyes. So, just for a moment, it doesn't have to be longer than that. Decide to let go of all of your desires. Just decide to drop all of your desires for a brief moment. And just feel what that's like. Just be what you are without desires. Okay? And you can practice this for a minute or two, any sort of any time you want. And it's just it's just a decision on your part. Okay, for now I'm going to, you know, um you probably unless you are fully enlightened will not be able to drop all of your desires permanently. You will get thirsty, you will get hungry, you will get physically uncomfortable, you will see an advertisement for that brand new car that you want. But just just try this for a moment. You can do it for a moment. Just drop all desires for a moment and just be what you are. And that will give you a little bit of an experience 
of your beingness, which is ultimately desireless because it experiences no lack. There is nothing it lacks. It is whole, complete, and perfect. Therefore, at your core, you are also, because it is you, your beingness is you, you are whole, complete, and perfect. There is nothing to fix. There's no place to go. There is nothing to do. Just who you are. Just be who you are. I hope that I hope that you'll practice that from time to time. I hope that you will have an experience of your divinity. Um, and if you choose to go down this path further and explore that more, I hope that you get to live your life more in flow. I will, um, my plan for next week is that I will have two new episodes coming out because I have two people, I have two guests coming on. I am very excited about that. Um, just to tease it a little bit, I have um, somebody who's going to come, uh, somebody I've known for, gosh, a really long time, um, who is going to talk about finding your purpose and living from that purpose, living from divine love and living from your purpose. And that is uh, such a wonderful, important topic to me. I think that's, um, I think that's, that's bound to be an exciting conversation. And then later in the week, I will be talking to my teacher in shamanism. I'm very excited about this. Um, She has agreed to come on and talk about living a shamanic life so if you have any interest or desire at all to, um, or, you know, just are curious about shamanism at all and what it's like to live shamanically, um, you know, you'll de- it's definitely something you'll want to catch. Uh, once again, you can contact me through my website, which is Maine Shaman, M-A-I-N-E-S-H-A-M-A-N.com. been listening to Speaking Spirit with your host, John Moore. For more info or to contact John, go to mainshaman.com. That's M-A-I-N-E-S-H-A-M-A-N.com.